0: Flight 66 to Copenhagen. It's good to be back. Oh, I know these boys. It's good to be back. <laughs> oh, I felt good to do. I've never done the intro before. <laughs>
1: it's one of these habits we got into and I just simply did it every single time. We should alternate. Good to have it's you back, Alex. It's good to be Alice. back.
0: Thank you to you and to my brother, Will, for the last episode, which I honestly had no idea what was happening until it popped up on my podcast app and i was like what is what's this <laughs> but it's a great episode great episode
1: it was great to do it with will it was planned for a, a little while actually uh the fact that we would do at some point an episode with him without telling you but that obviously was a perfect opportunity and he was so gentle and to do it like i said yeah whenever you want but let's just do it and he he rolled very easily you know i told will are you okay doing something like that i'm just gonna throw stuff at you and we will have to just follow and he actually was Yeah, amazing. he did a great job. Oh, it was and great.
0: I'd forgotten how, how much he'd done in the aviation world and he'd done a lot of very different jobs throughout and a lot of the stories that he told I'd never heard before. So it was neat to be an audience member on this podcast for a change and not a contributor. <laughs> By the way, happy 2018. Yeah, thank Alex. you. too. <laughs> this year, we're going to try to do
1: as many podcasts as we did last year. Last year we did, I think, 18, which was a slightly above what we did the previous year, which I, I think is our cruising altitude, I think it's harder for us to do like twenty-five or like the first year. I think we did thirty, Dude, really? but it was literally everywhere. <laughs> wow. Yeah, but it was almost yeah. It's it's we cannot do it with our travels, etc. But there might be times when whether me or Alex are, are are traveling too much, where one of us will not be present on the podcast. We might actually do that from time to time. We don't always need to be. I mean, of course, one of us. Would be nice if we
0: are. <laughs> yeah, to test, yeah, I think it would be a might strange be otherwise.
1: <laughs> but there might be other opportunities when we'll do that. I mean, of course, we want to have more guests. We say that every single year. But I had uh, a few other people lined up to palliate for your absence, but since you're here and actually in London because you're not traveling, it's actually easy to, to get a hold of you. But I might actually do
0: another. one. We'll see. So no travels. No, nope, I've been uh, on the ground since we last recorded because like you committed to taking a little bit of a break between end of last year and the beginning of this year but then my daughter came several weeks early and surprised us all so that that put the kibosh on on any even tentative travel plans I had which is great so I'm I'm not going anywhere on an airplane until the end of next month totally different reasons but probably the same for me uh it's already been f- Almost
1: five weeks I haven't been in the plane, which is very strange. Our listeners were like, what the hell is happening to you guys? But, yeah. <laughs> uh, at the same time, I've been traveling intensely for probably 10 years now. And I said already at the beginning of uh, last year, if you guys want to refer to the first episode of last year, that I would be traveling less than the previous year. And that is exactly what I'm going to do again this year. It's, when I say less, it's not like doing only two flights, but trying to do better travels. I know that it sounds a bit... Um, You know, people are always a bit envious and I understand, right? Oh, you guys are traveling all around and it's cool. And I know it's cool. I know we're very lucky to be doing that. But there's some things that are tiring me. So I'm going to do a slightly different type of travels this year because I, I, I need some rest, to be honest with you
0: guys. It is tiring. And as much as we both love it, it is exhausting. And I actually, I know we've talked about this ad nauseum in the past, but I think that That short-haul connecting flights or even short-haul point-to-point is tiring because you don't have a moment to relax. They're not exactly the most comfortable environments to be flying in anyway. It is tiring and they were record-breaking years in one metric or another for, for both of us, I think, when we tallied it up at the end of the year. And that's draining. It is draining.
1: And for me, I've let go of this whole competition thing. That, like, you know, I did that many miles, and that many segments, and that many flights, and that many various aircrafts. And I get it because it's fun because we love it. But it's been a long time for me already that I'm not really caring if, like, somebody does oh, like ten thousand yeah. miles more than yeah, I do. Yeah, they, right.
0: they, because there will always <laughs> be somebody who's doing just an oh, extraordinary oh, yeah. amount of travel. And I don't, I don't envy Pilots? them. I really don't envy them. No, it's not a race by any no. stretch of the imagination.
1: Hence the more quality travels. Not that. We haven't done quality travels in the past, but I'll try to uh, do a little bit more quality and slightly uh, less And more quantity. recreational, right?
0: I think that's what you were alluding yeah. to. It's yeah, more recreational too. and not, you know, there, there's there's an implied obligation when you're traveling for business and there's, I don't know about you, but there's not resentment's not the right word, but it's less on your terms and therefore yeah. harder to actually enjoy to the fullest.
1: Absolutely. Anyway. That's not because people think we start complaining here. That's really not, all. not the point. Just to tell you, we will still have a lot of stories to tell. Plus, there's so many things happening. Actually, you have like. A lot of stories that we haven't shared since we last recorded. I did a few, of course, with Will, but I wanted... You know, I was also learning, actually, with Will. I had no idea of his aviation past. (laughs) Wow, I've learned so many things. We had a lot of... And I'm going to start the show with that. I mean, it's been eight minutes. We started already. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to start the show with with shout-outs because you had a lot of, of comments, not only for the episode with Will, but also past. And I want to you know, thank because people take the time to send us messages, info, uh, reviews, etc. And I think it's really nice. And again, you know, it, this uh, number is decreasing, which is really great, which, but that also means, and I'm really sorry. And I know I've already said that in other episodes that I can't always mention everyone because otherwise we would spend like 45 minutes just mentioning everyone. <laughs> but so please forgive me if I don't, if you really think that you deserve to mention, just, you know, harass me until I do, <laughs> but I'm going to dedicate a few uh, minutes here to, to, do a few shout outs we talked last episode of course about boston the airport that you had also covered uh, with me alex there's an interesting exchange between will actually and uh at some talk of me Pramod on twitter i'll just put the 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 link on the show notes but it's really interesting how your brother and uh at some talk to of me are discussing about you know the quality of the gates and the quality of the boarding experience at virgin slash alaska and what the terminal is better than the C, etc. So I, you know, I haven't been to Boston in forever. But if you want to learn it, slightly more information that we said, I'll yeah, there the was link some in the great banter and
0: back and forth there. I think Boston is one of those airports that a lot of people have very different experiences in. So that was an interesting uh, little uh, little chit chat that was going on.
1: Richard Oakley, Richard Oakley uh, from South Africa, whom you know, you had on your episode of um, Cape Town of yeah. Attaché <laughs> when when I tweeted the the fact that there was like a new episode new year new host of course it was a cheeky way to say that Will was co-hosting with me <laughs> he said I clicked on this fully expecting to be Kobus
0: Kobus I... <laughs> you're going to be yeah, on the we'll show will get you some definitely because Kobus he's got some amazing destinations under his belt last year on Facebook there were a lot of comments about Will's
1: episodes so I, I, I want to mention them because Will you were really great uh, Vincent says great episode, guys loved Will's stories, Ed Parsons another great show, happy new year guys thank you and he says with my eye closed I could not tell the difference between Will and Alex <laughs> uh, which which actually was super fun, I replied that we could have the third brother, I mean Andrew, uh, we'll talk about him in, in, in a bit and to which your brother Will said he sounds like hugh grant uh so i think you'll be good there to which wayne sula answered he looks like james bond so man you know what andrew we need you to to be there because i mean neither alex and and will they're both very handsome but they don't look like james or, bond, sound, or like james sound like, sound like <laughs> <Hugh Yeah>. Grant. <laughs> <laughs> we should do the third brother at some point there was uh, peter johnson another loyal uh listener <laughs> You said the episode were worth the loan for the story of the rough sleeper, you know, at child Gaulle yeah. who ended up stealing the money by almost accident. Such a good story. <laughs> Regarding our episode 64, Alex, the one at St. Petersburg, I have Murad on uh, Facebook, who says, I believe yes. the high-wing aircraft you saw in St. Petersburg was at Antonov 148. Yes. The Rossi Airlines,
0: so the, the government-owned. Uh, was it that the one? Yes, the one it saw? was. And it's, I, I love the airplane. We've talked about it in the past. But I just think it's such an elegant airplane. Not many people use it. It looks like a a, a 2 engine one-four-six Averliner. Mm-hmm. It's it's just it's very very cool. There's only been 39 of them made, so there aren't many opportunities to experience them. Air Corio have a couple of them, so next time we go to uh, North Korea. But the biggest owner, as he said, is the is the Russian government. So uh, again, limited opportunity to experience that airplane. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you never know. Yeah, he, uh, he, he also adds, great episode as always. Thank you, Murad. That's very kind. Uh, 2017 was the year of fake news. Uh, there was this fun banter between you and Kendall about smart luggages, and you answered like it was so funny. No, I was being vehemently against stupid things, idiotic, dangerous, and pointless. So, Alex, CS just happened in, in, in Vegas. Uh, you know, this is this big consumer electronics show uh, with all the hardware that exists that shouldn't even exist. Actually, yeah. appears there, and there was uh the ninety fun puppy one, which is uh, a smart luggage that has sensors and follows you around. God of sears. course, that's stupid. It's a, it's a Chinese company, I think. They went with like press releases and you know very sleek videos, etc. And then. When you read the actually the reports, you see that the luggage would fail most of the time, not follow you, but follow someone else or stop following you altogether. I don't see the point of having a luggage follow no, you. No, me
0: neither. To be very, yeah. Me neither. Can we just <laughs> go to normal people luggage again? Like, I, I, I'm done with the smart luggage. I don't. Most sensible airlines are banning them. It's over. It's over.
1: (laughs) At uh, Joel Candia, and again, I'm sorry always if I mispronounce your names, guys, just send me back a tweet, message, et cetera, to tell me how to actually pronounce your names. Said that uh, the Qantas Domestic Business Class Lounge at Perth does indeed serve pizza. Yeah, you remember I made a call. I need to know who serves pizza. We didn't receive actually anyone telling us which European lounge serves actual pizza. The hunt is still on. If anyone knows where which lounge in Europe serves pizza, I know that, you know, Australians do it better, clearly, Joel just told us, but I don't know yeah, where the pizza is, is this in is Europe. This is going
0: to become a global quest to find the lounge that serves pizza. <laughs> Joel also
1: said that, please do a crossover episode on airplane food between Mastication Nation layovers. Yeah, as you heard in the last episode, we'll probably do yes, it at some definitely. point. Both Alex and I have like a billion, you know, like we have like four, Cupboard full of uh, airplane menus. We could just read the menus. That would be a full episode, just (laughs) telling the the nice. (laughs) Uh, There was also, it dates a little bit back. John had completely... F'd up his last name and he had came back to me. Uh, I think, I, I think I gave him the shout out in episode 64, 63. I don't remember. His name is Nolavica. So John Nolavica, he has a YouTube channel. He actually puts the videos of his travels in planes. I'll put the link in the show note for this episode, John. He's flown actually a lot of uh, US airlines, including that could be interesting for you, Alex, including uh, American Airlines, because you were telling me the other day that you were thinking American Airlines. He went to Tokyo with American Airlines, so a th- almost fourteen hours flight. I don't know where he was actually leaving from. Uh, maybe in Chicago, I don't know. He actually enjoyed it. He put even a picture of the of the the seat, probably
0: Harry Potter, because your 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 face is close to the window. Yeah. It, seems,
1: it seems it does good. look good.
0: It does look good. I th- I Again, there's so many great new business class product and well, premium class products coming out that uh, I'm now glancing towards airlines that aren't BA just because I'm being tempted by the hard (laughs) product a little bit more. I'm very confident that I'm not going to requalify for gold on on BA this year. So that's really all it takes for me is just to start looking at other airline products. He's flown United quite a few
1: uh, times and he mentioned the 77W, so the 300ER. He says it's fantastic, actually, the Dreamliner as well. And even the 772s, being retrofitted i was i was not harsh i was very neutral on united last time i'll probably gonna try at some point find them again if i do i would like to try their newest uh, products and uh like i am on star alliance so why not so he, he's actually seems to be kind of positive about them so you know i'll, I'll give them a chance why not on facebook james hill he says he absolutely love our podcast he's been binge listening at work <laughs> for the last few weeks That's again <laughs> glutton for punishment <laughs> and he said. You guys turned me to a Navy geek. I'm like, I don't know if you want to be responsible for that, James. But <laughs> he says, uh, and that's the point of you mentioning him besides being so kind with us. He says that there was an episode where we had uh, discussed our favorite uh, websites, uh, oh, you know, yeah, aviation yeah. websites. I, I, I know it was at the very beginning. To be honest, James, I don't remember which one it was. But anyways, it's, that was two and a half years Oof. ago, probably. What we're going to do, not in this one, but maybe in the next or the following one with Alex, we're going to simply dedicate five minutes to say what are currently the websites that we are looking at, where we get the news, but also simply what we enjoy. That's a great at. idea. That's a great idea because a lot has changed in that two and a half years. And he can certify that he also had pizza in Brisbane Qantas business. Australians, Australians, Australians are taking, taking better. care of pizza business. <laughs> By the way, I don't know about you, Alex, but it seems to me that there's a, a lot of aviation-related websites that are based in Australia.
0: Yes, a lot, and some very good ones it's, as well that are yeah that that seem to get a lot of scoops, especially on product. We should find someone from Australia actually to to guest invite.
1: Maybe like a a good twenty percent of the news I'm getting and I'm reading are on .dot au yeah. so Australian websites. Yeah, I, I
0: think for a country that is so huge and with a dispersed uh populace, they rely so much on, on air travel that having good sources of information makes sense. Another one we binged our on our episode is Eric
1: Hoffman at the husband in two on Twitter. Uh, yeah, also a very yeah. loyal listener. Great to have you back. Looking forward for more in 2018. Thank you very much, uh, Eric. He says we both need to come down to Girona where he lives now to eat great food, drink amazing wine and AV geek out. Sarmia? Yes, of course we will do that. <laughs> two three or four i don't remember uh podcast reviews on itunes thank you so much guys for actually doing that it's always very very kind the first one from oh these names are always really hard to read out bd Kaney from hungary Just found your podcast not long ago, but already hooked. Brilliant, entertaining. Bravo. Thank you. Five stars. I mean, they're all five stars. I'm not going to even say five stars. Thank you so much, guys, for being so kind with us. Chip chick from the US. A fun podcast that will appeal to any airplane geek. I don't Get to fly nearly as often as I would like, but at least Paul and Alex let the listener experience their travels vicariously. Thanks, guys. Well, thank you. Uh, From ah, from Australia, Rusted. Brilliant. We love this podcast. Keep the good work, guys. And uh, the last one from Canada. R3 acts, 1990 <laughs> must-listen podcast. Paul and Alex uh, do a fantastic jobs making the podcast interesting and fun. I listen to it every day on my drive-to from work. Again, every day. My God, are you ready? <laughs> there was also someone, and I don't have it in front of me, that mentioned that he or she... Was listening to the episode to which airport he or she was going to that day every single time he or she was traveling. Traveling to Copenhagen, she would be or he would be listening to this show. Or traveling to I don't know Charles de Gaulle, he would have no episode to listen to because we we haven't done it yet. Can't do it. Last but not least, Michael Michael Leppa. I'm not sure I pronounced your name uh, correctly. Uh, at Roll Funk on on Twitter, I've known him for quite a long time, actually. Michael, did you used to live in Japan, or are you always traveling very often? Because I remember you from from my Japan days. He was tweeting us that uh, he was uh, flying with Finnair uh, to 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 Tokyo with a backlog of episodes of layovers. He was listening to us the whole flight, <laughs> and. It seems that, and it wasn't the case until recently, that if you fly Finnair to Tokyo now, there's a 350. Because before they had the the older aircraft, I think 330, yeah, which uh, seats were not as good. So that's very good news. I might actually do that my next trip to Japan. And he went for three weeks of powder
0: skiing in Hokkaido. My God. It looks beautiful. I have a friend who's doing (laughs) that right now. The pictures are just spectacular. On the way back, I guess he was
1: at Asahikawa Airport. I've been to that airport; it's also in the north. There's also a flight simulator, a 737 simulator. That was wow. a great See, like I a- as Well, <laughs> Japan really has a lot going on for it, right, in terms of aviation. Every time, anyway, Australia. Since we are in Australia, there was this uh, interesting article on the Guardian. The Guardian actually, the, the website is completely it's re- great, up. and the and the uh, paper uh,
0: itself they've gone to tablet yeah. style. Oh, I
1: haven't seen. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> I feel <laughs> I haven't seen the paper yet yeah, i've only seen the, the app and the website there was this article that was quite interesting about the uh the fuel efficiency uh, i think the report was made mostly for airlines that do travel over the pacific so it's very oceania and asia based the most fuel efficient airline is hainan uh, followed by ana and air new zealand the worst and by far actually is Qantas, <laughs> and the second worst is korean air and obviously, you're wondering if it's not simply because of the fleet
0: they have. Well, it kind of has to be, doesn't it? Because there's no other... Yeah, yeah, There's no other... Well, if they're going to be judging it on on your ground handling efficiency and all that, it has to be how modern your fleet is, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And then the engine choices. And I suppose further down the list or, uh, of things that will make a, an impact on that is routing choices, flight time. Pinan, for instance, has, I think, 80%
1: of its flights are on Dreamliner. So clearly, they have like very recent advantage. (laughs) Yeah. And I guess most of the airlines at the top of the list are such airlines. But interestingly, Qantas not only has 747s and 380s, you know, four engine aircraft, so that's a lot of fuel, but also they're filling just 74% of the seats. So if you count per passenger, they also have that list. They're actually really bad. Where where they have Uh, other airlines, I think like, a and A are very good load
0: factors. Hence, for the actual fuel they're using, the flight is our fuel. I'm glad somebody's done that. I'm glad somebody's looked at that because we, we tend to push that to the back of our mind because it's a, it's a fairly unpleasant thing to think about. But it is part of our responsibility as travelers to be mindful of the impact that we are having on the environment and to do what we can to mitigate and offset that. Although I think as consumers, our opportunities and options to address that are are reasonably limited. It has to be in the hands of the airlines, the engine manufacturer, the airframe manufacturer. But I think it's important to be cognizant of it at the very least.
1: Passenger load, aircraft efficiency, seating density, Uh, you know, we like it or not, but more seats, obviously, it's more efficient (laughs) at the end of the day, right? Uh, But also cargo, Uh, the more cargo, less cargo, because clearly that also influences the kind of uh, the the efficiency. There, There's a few other examples that are interesting about uh, specific routes. So the most efficient airline from LA to Sydney is uh, Delta. Uh, the second is Virgin Australia, Qantas is last again. Another example is LA to Tokyo, which I've actually done. The most efficient airline is United. Hmm. <laughs> so, see, you know, it doesn't have everything bad, but I think they're now flying. Dreamliners. Fly. Dream liners. Yeah, I think actually our friend uh, Glucode has done a Dreamliner that route. Glucode, correct me. Or maybe it was from San Francisco you did. And
0: the worst is Singapore, which is the one I took. Why? 380, four engines right. probably, you know, set. And actually and, thinking you know, about it, go. Qantas still operate quite a few... They operate A380s and 747s still on those West Coast, U.S. West Coast routes. And like you said, we have a
1: limited thing we can actually do ourselves. We have to be mindful of that. We we, we talked a little bit when we had Tony Tyler about, you know, the uh, environmental issues uh, of uh, of uh, flying. 2.5% of the global carbon emission or something are from That sounds flying. far, right? Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know whether that's my open question. Is it actually... Besides making you feel good, is it actually useful to, you know, these... um, offsetting? Yeah, the offset Thank you.
0: you, I don't don't know. know. I think it's just assuaging your own guilt, whether it's actually making a difference to our carbon emissions and their the effect they're having, I, I, I don't know. The cynic in me says probably not.
1: Since we were in the U.S., we just flew from Sydney to the, to the U.S., to L.A., uh, a few news about the U.S. By the way, I'm going to try to commit this year having slightly less front-loading of British news because sometimes in episodes, because we live here, we have a tendency to talk about BA for like 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so let's try to be a little bit more uh, equal opportunity for all the airlines in this world. <laughs> uh, the U.S. first... Uh, because we always try to follow up the news. The Supreme Court has authorized the ban that uh, the Trump administration has done. It's not it's not over. It doesn't mean that the ban will last forever. But for the moment, the ban is actually up. Trump has actually also said that for the moment, they're not going to retaliate against the ME3. They still say, of course, there's subsidies. And they still have a lot of pressure for the U.S. airlines. But they said that for the moment, they're not going to do anything. But they warned that if not sufficient steps are being taken in the future, uh, they might do something about it. They, uh, they're they not going to either ban or add like some tariffs or et cetera to the Middle Eastern carriers, which is, I
0: mean, good news. for It competition. is good news for competition. And I think that the Airbus, Bombardier, Boeing – Delta shenanigans that have been going on <laughs> do illustrate the point that the U.S. government is willing to act. That this isn't just something where they they cannot or will not do something. I think their hands are a little bit more tied on this because the argument is so much weaker than than the Bombardier Boeing stuff. But they will do it, and they've proven that. And I think that gave everybody a little bit of pause for thought. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what happens this year yeah actually since you mentioned delta,
1: let's go there but delta you know they 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 were supposed to buy this uh, c series bombardier who's been just taken over by Airbus, as you just said and uh the problem is a date thing i think the first delivery of the c series to delta was supposed is still supposed to happen in q one so until this March. The problem is, when will the tariff be annulled by the fact that Airbus will build the planes in Alabama in within the US? So they're doing a trick. They're saying, okay, if they get the airplane in the C-Series too early, Delta will have to Probably pay the tariffs, which they obviously don't right. want to, but they committed to the, the aircraft, that they want the aircraft. So what are they going to do? They said, we're going to actually give them to Aero Mexico. Delta owns 49% of Aero Mexico. <laughs> so they're basically going to do a little trick when they the C series that they want, they will wait until the tariff situation is actually solved. So Airbus builds the things in the US. In the meanwhile, give the aircrafts to Aero Mexico. Will they swap them later on? Are they used wet leases? I have no idea, but that's apparently what's going to happen. And since they still need planes, they just announced that they're going to buy 100 A321 Neos with an option of further 100. So... Delta here is basically saying, hey, you know what, uh, guys in the U.S., you are trying to screw us, so we're going to give it to our Mexico. And by the
0: way, here, we're going to buy 200 more Airbus just to tell you the, what we think. Jeez. That's how it looks like. It's such a strange relationship between the U.S. airlines and the U.S. Manufa- or the manufacturers in general, because Delta have been one of the strongest voices in anti-ME3, anti-competition. Circles, if you will, they were the ones that did all the nonsense. When was it Qatar that had the problems landing at Delta, and Delta wouldn't give them a gate and all of that? And yet, they're being the most sort of proactive, if you will, and middle finger to the to the big boys for for the manufacturer side. Whose side are they on? Or are they deciding for themselves? I don't, I don't know. It's very strange. At the end of the day, uh, I mean, you know, you don't have that many
1: manufacturers you can buy from, right? So especially now that it's been consolidation, like, uh, and I'll go to the next one in, in the next piece of news, meaning that. I also understand that the Delta would still have to have a choice between Boeing and and Airbus. And it's not here making a a, like a flag choice, you know, like I'm pro US or anti US or pro European, anti-European. It's just like, you know, when you want to buy a car, you wanna have a choice between brands. And to be fair to Delta here, there's no actual real competition for the 321. Uh, that's why it's so successful, even in the US, because this, the 737-900 is still smaller. This this is what basically where actually Boeing is thinking of creating that new plane that we don't know the name yet, 797. The A321 is a success because it's almost on a league of its own. That's why it's so successful, for the including the US. I'm sure that if Boeing were to have something similar, US airlines would gladly actually it's buy
0: the it thing i think to the 757 without being the 757 right. that's the plane that i think everybody's trying to figure out is there a market here while at the same time saying we really do love the 757 and we miss it now that it's gone it was just not it, you know it's a very old design and it's not efficient as efficient as it could be but i think we talk about this every time one of the big air shows comes around and order books start to fill up that the a320 Neo and A321 series have proven time and time again to be incredibly popular, reliable airplanes. And you can see why people continue to buy them. And now they're, like I say, being manufactured in the US. That just makes the deal even sweeter for for U.S. Airlines to jump on board. I don't think it's putting huge amounts of pressure on Boeing because the 737 series are also incredibly good, incredibly reliable, and incredibly popular as well. So it's 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 only good for the consumer that this is happening. That this popular narrow body competition and is uh, probably a better word than battle is is going on between the two big manufacturers.
1: So. Delta, it was seventy-five uh, C-series that they had ordered. So Delta is doing this trick. Uh, Boeing, they are acquisition talks of Embraer now. Is it a good thing or a bad thing? You know, it was nice to have you know a Bombardier and an Embraer and you know Mitsubishi and Sukhoi and other smaller, and of course, the Chinese Comac, the, the smaller types of manufacturers. But it seems that this whole thing has created a, yet another round of consolidation. It's not done. Maybe it won't happen uh, because uh, Brazil is quite a protectionist when it comes to its markets and jobs, etc.
0: But if Boeing were to acquire Embraer... I I am a little worried about this. I think mainly because I have a soft spot for Embraer. I don't know why. I love their airplanes. I think the the E-Jets are just fantastic little airplanes. I agree. I think this w- it would be sad to lose another manufacturer. Like you say, there are smaller manufacturers. I mean, Mitsubishi hasn't really, nothing's in service yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, Bombardier no, no, no. It's great, but they're on my Airbus now, uh, or at least the C-Series is. The others, are they're, they're they're tiny. It would be such a shame. Embraer was the little aircraft manufacturer that could. And a lot of people yeah. like those airplanes. <laughs> and I hope this doesn't go through just purely for Personal reasons, especially because you never know if the plane, the actual aircraft, will
1: survive. Of course, the brand you don't know, no, but the plane itself—it's—it's it's really hard to. I mean, the, Boeing had a what was it, seven one seven at some yes. point, but that's it. It would make sense for them if you think about having a broad offer for. For airlines to have a s- smaller capacity uh, aircrafts as well, but yeah, I don't know. I-, I have mixed feelings as well. I don't want all the aircraft to look exactly the
0: same for crying no. out <laughs> I- No, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Uh, you you want a little bit of variety and innovation. I think competition does breed innovation as well. That's why we've we've had all these leaps in in manufacturing, not just between Airbus and Boeing, but because of pressure from the other other manufacturers. Talking about different type of aircraft, the one that always
1: stand out, and people seem to love to fly, is the 380. The 380, I didn't mention that in the last episode with Will. It's almost dying. It's still not dead, but we're very
0: close. Airbus is very, very, very close to shut the program completely down. Airbus have cut out... They- uh- John Leahy has come out and said that they will shut the program if Emirates does not order more aircraft. It's not conjecture or speculation. They've, he's said that. Uh, Emmanuel Macron, the French president, Albus,
1: being part, part French, uh, was, I think he just came back, was in China uh, for a state visit. And a part of the of his agenda was to try to sell the 380 to the Chinese. And it's potentially true that some Chinese could be
0: doing something with that plane. But I don't see it happening either. It speaks volumes that in 2017, the A380 order book netted an order total of two cancellations. That was it. I think that really shows it. and their commercial aircraft president Fabrice Bregier said that his job in 2017 was to start winding down the production of the A380. So they're they're ready for it, they're prepping. They've said they won't make any white tail airplanes, making airframes without a potential buyer. They're they're not going to do anything until they've got orders on the books. You know, we're talking Less than ten a year for the next three years, and it's maybe down to six after twenty nineteen being coming off the line, which is then obviously reaches a point of inefficiency and there's there's it's in no one's interest to keep it going. But I like the A three this this will be sad. It's not as graceful and elegant and important, frankly, as the seven forty seven, but it's not a plane I have any issue with.
1: It's really proven popular for people that don't fly as much and i had friends over for christmas for instance they keep talking about 380 as in it's like i've been for the first time at 380 there's something about it it's coming to our point earlier it's a different looking aircraft it's like oh i know it's a 380 i know it's different i know it's special so i want to be in it yeah
0: and it's you know it's a it's a monstrous airplane and i think that captured a lot of people's imaginations it was on a scale that we'd never seen before which allowed passenger experience innovation to happen on a level that we'd never seen before. So it is an important airplane. It is a good airplane. But in a world where we're looking at efficiency, 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 just doesn't make sense. The numbers just don't add up. Talking about Airbus, Airbus is uh, going through like a lot of
1: shakeups. We had mentioned a few in the past, but this one is the big one because, like, very basically, everybody is leaving. Uh, so you just mentioned uh, Fabrice Bregier is uh, leaving, kind of lost a power battle with the uh, Chief Executive Tom Anders, but Tom Anders himself is actually being in a big uh, this yeah. whole corruption thing. It- the corruption is more on the, you know, Airbus is a big group. This is more on the defense side, less on the commercial, uh, you know, airliner. But still, you know, it's the same group, right? And the same, these are the same people. So we have Leary departing, Brazier departing. Tom Enders is actually not as spotless as he might have claimed in the past, just for the sake of saying it. The, the crux where the the, the 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 ground zero of this corruption scandal apparently is in Paris. It's uh, It was a small sales division Division for arms, I think, so for defense purposes. It was actually called, and I'm not kidding, and pardon my French, the Bullshit Castle. (laughs) (laughs) Very kind of shaky deals going on. Uh, There's even a sentence, a quote, I don't know who said actually the quote is, if you put Mother Teresa in a neighborhood with rampant drug use, she wouldn't remain a saint for long either. (laughs) And that's apparently... (laughs) It's really shaking up the grounds of uh, of Hermes. So the door is open to not the entire executive team, but we have a lot of the the big guys have left. These were the guys that actually put the 380 into place. So maybe a new management and new CEOs, et cetera, when they will arrive, they might not have the... The emotional link to 380, they will just look at it and say, you know, no, yeah. no one's buying it. Let's they can it. can make a business right? decision. I don't then know. I mean, I mean, they've the 3- got the 350, the
0: 3- but is that... Yeah,
1: I was about to say the 350 is super successful. That's their hit with a 321 and 320.
0: But is it the platform that they need to expand and fill the void? Because the 777 has been around for... Ooh, what since 1989 as a concept and as a platform and's been iterated on and, and developed and is obviously a very very popular program and they're you know they're continuing to iterate on it the 350 is brand new is it the right thing for them to say: the A380 goes away, and we backfill with the 350, and oh, and I don't what know. else? I don't and know. what else? So, it's an interesting time for everybody and, and you know, in our not this isn't a job, but in our job, it does make for some interesting, <laughs> uh, interesting months and years
1: ahead. I think that Boeing is better equipped, as in future proof, not only because of the bet they've done with both the triple seven back then and the the, the Dreamliner uh, currently. But they seem to have a broader uh offering for airlines because you're right, there's the 350, the 320 and 21s, the 330, yeah, they will do a NEO, but airlines are like airlines are not huge, huge fans of NEOs because they're basically saying, Hey, you guys, you're okay, you're putting a new engine to an existing platform, but the reason the Dreamliner or the 350, by the way, are so successful is because they were started from scratch. They said, Okay, we'll have like more fuel efficiency, different design, different materials. So you cannot just put NEO no, something and I would say – No, it's
0: a little bit lipstick on a pig, isn't it? You're just extending the useful life of a program perhaps by 10 years as opposed to going from, I don't know, 767 to a Dreamliner where you're starting from scratch, which is a an investment that is orders of magnitude larger than a NEO. So you can see why people maybe even hedge – a little bit of time to say, okay, well, let's do a neo because there are opportunities to get twenty five percent fuel increase on the airframe while we start a program office to develop what the next twenty five years look like. The three fifty at the beginning was supposed to be a three thirty neo,
1: and airlines were like, "What the hell are you talking about? We want to actually have a new aircraft." So that forced the hand of Airbus to actually create a new airframe which delayed the program, but it actually now proves to be successful. But like you say, I don't know, we don't have any into Airbus. I mean, in the rumor world, we don't know if Airbus is actually planning anything else. It probably at very early stages, but even if it were to start it, with, it had started two years ago, it won't happen before a decade. That the new aircraft, whatever that is, 370, whatever
0: the name you want, will ever happen. We no. don't know. We simply no, and, don't and know. I think the funny thing is that It feels like Boeing and Airbus are waiting to see what the other does. <laughs> it's why <Clearly. laughs> it's why Boeing haven't committed on a seven fifty seven seven sixty seven replacement or or enhancement program as well. So it's just someone's going to have to blink first and come up with something. And I think it'll have to be Airbus. Yeah, I think so
1: too. I think although Airbus is very successful, with the view aircrafts they have, they are lacking something compared to Boeing. Boeing is still has an edge uh, to me. And here I'm not doing. You know, uh, you know. Let's. Pre- I'm Swiss. I'm going to be neutral. I do not prefer one or the other I like to have competition but if I put myself as an outside in looking into the, the thing I think uh, Boeing as an edge uh, overall and again I love the 321 and I love the, the 350 especially the 350 I think that's a smash hit I, I cannot wait to see what the triple seven x would actually yeah. look like because that's going to be the answer basically of uh, of Boeing to the three. and
0: also yeah I, I I agree I agree I'm excited for that to take a little bit more shape than a uh, a place on a uh, one of those those diagrams <laughs> They rolled out. I think it was yeah. Paris <laughs> this year. <laughs> yeah, uh, another casualty
1: of that Airbus uh, corruption scandal, which is not over yet, is the CTO Paul Aramco. He's the Google guy that Airbus did hire to instill a new type of mentality within Airbus, a more like you know fail fast, fail forward, Silicon Valley type of stuff, and he's the reason. Why there was these flying taxis, you know, the VTOL, the the, the flying buses and all the stuff that the Airbus was trying it that people like you and me, Alex, were looking at and saying, What the hell is Airbus yeah. doing? Some of it actually might stick. But he was the reason he left. Of course, officially he didn't leave because of the corruption. But I do have a hunch that because all the scandals and the power struggles at the top and for the moment, at least, Germany and and, and France are kind of hands off and not really. I mean, I'm sure that behind the scenes they're actually trying to put their own guys in there. But I I I believe, and that's my own personal belief, that he might have said, you know what, this doesn't sound good. And and probably when you look at even in the startup world, startups like Boom and others who are doing really cool stuff that might maybe one day take off, we might have a supersonic aircraft, maybe not from Boom, but these technology be used by Boeing
0: and others. I understand why you would actually leave Airbus. Yeah, I th- I think so too. I mean, uh, would you would you want to be the head of innovation in a company that takes fifteen years to see from idea to to seeing the light of day? At least, I mean, that's no criticism of of, of Airbus. That's. That's just the industry, right? I mean, it takes industry, that long yeah. and that much money. So coming up with a great idea and a fail fast, iterate quickly mentality, they don't jive together. I There must be an unbelievably frustrating role. Plus at a big company, plus at Airbus, especially because of these
1: kind of you know it's very still politicized yeah, yeah. way less than it used to be but you still have to deal with i mean just look at the 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 management structure you have some people from germany some people from france and the, it's one time is the ceo of one country or the other and the, the brits are kind of not there but there and some spaniards as well i mean you have to kind of content a bit everyone because of course they jump started the program back in the days the state by the way do not uh, have majority stakes or anything because I hear sometimes that people say, oh, Airbus is a state-owned company. No, it's not anymore. But yeah, the state still has some uh, some links. And whilst there's no revolving door, you sometimes kind of feel, especially in the defense industry, because defense is much more you know sensitive uh, industry, you kind of feel, since Airbus does a bit of everything, that some of the people might just be friends of politicians coming in. I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just saying that he, he must be coming from... Google, or even you and me were not as smart as this Paul aramco i 'm sure, but if you were to go there, some of the stuff would be
0: highly frustrating because you have to deal with the politics of it all as well yeah. wow well, and again it's, I think that that doesn 't really jive with an entrepreneurial attitude I or environment there's uh, yeah, I can understand it's frustrating although. Do they still have their Silicon Valley incubator going, Airbus? Yeah,
1: the A3, a cube, whatever the name is. Oh, that's, I think that's the Venter Fund. So that's the, yeah. the fund. Not sure if that's the incubator, accelerator, slash uh, whatever the name you want to put the buzzword is nowadays. I, I think so too. But I don't know whether or not the fact that the CTO, Port Aramco, left – Will that impact this? I have no. To be honest, I have no idea. I had a discussion. Let's mention it here. I, I was interviewed, interviewed. It was a big time. We had a conversation with Chris Grow. He is an airport planner and runs the the podcast called Runway. Yes, yeah. If you're interested, uh, guys, into not listening no, to great. me. Because, it was you know, great, great conversation. I'm, I'm not, thank you, Chris one thing he does really well is each episode he interviews a stakeholder from the industry how do we disrupt the airline industry what it's it's really a great great podcast to listen to runway.vc that's the actual uh, url but i'll put the link in the show notes and uh, we talked a little bit about that with with chris and the, the the goal is to have chris as a guest on this show because not only of the all the, the the knowledge he has throughout his work and also through these uh, runway.vc because more than just a podcast it's, it's an innovation platform but also simply because as an airport planner i want to hear yeah. what, what is an airport planner how to, exactly so i just want to make one caveat i felt listening to it because when i talk when i'm passionate i talk too fast obviously like you know guys but also i felt that i was probably defending Airbus too much. I mean, not defending. It felt like I was defending Airbus, which, like you heard in the past 10 minutes, is not what I'm trying to do. I, I think there are fair points on each side. There's no perfect way to innovate, or there's no, like, on one side, the subsidies and another one. There's not. So just please have that in mind. Don't uh, badger me as being an anti Boeing because it's really not the case that's how i felt when I, uh, I listened to it anyway listen to the uh, i think anybody that listens to this
0: podcast knows you're certainly not anti-boeing or even biased in one direction or the other thank you alex i appreciate that you no, said that it's
1: true.
0: <laughs> us boeing
1: no more 747s in uh, i mean passenger 747s in disguise in the us i mean for us airlines a bit sad yeah a bit sad is an understatement <laughs> It's- so, it was the last ever flight. Uh, sorry to, to interrupt you, Alex. The last ever flight was Delta. Uh, Delta flew from Atlanta to Marana in Arizona, which basically is a graveyard yeah. <laughs> where they're going to basically cannibalize the jetliner. You don't want to see the pictures because it's, it's horrifying. Uh, it's a three and a half I think uh, hour journey from Atlanta it was really nice because they did this special flight so they invited of course journalists but also employees from Delta uh, people were signing the aircraft outside you know, under the uh, the wheel but also inside so the business class cabin or first class as they call it in the US everybody signed on all the walls so you can see like uh, you know the, 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 the airplane full of graffitis but like you know kind graffitis they even had a, a wedding uh-huh. on board so there was a Delta pilot and a flight attendant who tied not on that flight, which is that's really cute. There's a video on, on YouTube about that. So that's, again, nice send-off, but what a sad day to not
0: have It this. is. It is. And I think that a lot of those Delta 747s were X northwest
1: hey, Actually, you know what? I went back to my flight history. Uh, I was flying Northwest uh, 10 years ago, 9 years ago, 8 years ago. And then I started flying Delta when it was acquired by Delta. Sadly, back then, I was not as uh, good as now as uh, writing down the airplane registrations. But I still went to say, was that last aircraft one of those I had flown? I will never know because I'm missing a few. But I might have been one of the the ones I I flew. And it's... uh It's sad. I had one of your listeners as well, Mathieu Guionet-Deluc at uh, 2MGD on Twitter, who's asking us, are there still operators of 747 passengers in South or North America? I don't think there are any. I think the only shot is really to take BA, Lufthansa, Korean Air, maybe Air China, because I don't think in South America as well, there's any 747 operators left. At least US for sure. No. In Canada, I don't think Air Canada has any. So I think it's, uh,
0: you really have to rely on foreigners. Yeah, I don't think, (laughs) thank God for British Airways is all I'm going to say, because we don't have to worry (laughs) about that problem for a long time. I'm going to Florida in May. I'm going on a 747 for at least one of the legs. They have lots of 747s and they're not going anywhere anytime soon. So that makes me happy. I think they said they were thinking of retiring them in 2024, not before. Yeah, so we have, we have uh, some
1: time—six years but at the, least. But the, so, th- yeah. it
0: will be strange. You'll still see. 747s at American airports, but just not in an American Airlines, apostrophe S, livery, which I think will be uh, be strange.
1: Very strange, especially because for me, the 747 was first and foremost a plane I remember seeing a lot in the U.S. when I was a kid, and I flew in the U.S. Of course, since then, BA, I don't know, JAL and ANA and Cathay and Thai, and I flew like a lot of 747s with other airlines. But for me... Because my first ever witnessing of a seven four seven when I was maybe four or five years old was in the US. I think it was in Chicago and Miami. I flew one and I was like,
0: that's the plane that I always linked with, you know, it's big, it's American. And I said that's really yeah, sad. Yeah, it is sad. And actually, having a look, there really aren't that many airlines that have 747 oh. <laughs> passenger planes anymore i think it, it's it's a lot less than you than you think it, i'm starting to freak out a little bit <laughs> which is why
1: i mentioned lufthansa and korean air And I think they're China because these three have the 8i, so the newer version, even if you only have a very few, but at least you're pretty sure that those will last for 20 years before they retired. So even though they're not, and I've taken, I said that in an episode, I don't remember which one it was because I don't have it in front of me, but I flew the Korean Air 747-8i uh, twice. It, It was a really neat experience. It's very close to a 744 experience. The sound is slightly more damper, of course, because it's slightly newer. But, I mean, it's fantastic. So, guys, yeah, if you want to fly 747, for sure, Lufthansa, Korean Air, uh, and I think
0: it's Air China. Air China and China Airlines both have them.
1: Oh, both. Oh, wow. See? Well, there you go. Thank you, Alex. So, these are your best shots. NBA, of course, for the next uh, six, Qantas, seven years. few more, yeah. But, yeah, just for the few more years. Qantas, the rumor is that Qantas is uh, looking at uh, ditching them. You know, the first piece of news we discussed here about their fuel efficiency, etc. They might be looking into having more Dreamliners, 350s for very long routes, avoiding to commute through uh, Singapore now and and Dubai. Uh, So I'm not sure the 747s will last so long at Qantas either.
0: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I see Alex on the camera in front of me. He's having like, you know, cold sweats. I need to get some more 747 models. I don't have nearly enough. Oh,
1: I'll find you some. Actually, the next time I, uh, I might do Korean Air soon again, uh, which is against my milestone because I don't do Sky Team, but I really want to fly it again. I might actually do it, and then I'll, I'll make sure to. Uh, I should fly Asiana, but Asiana is a three eighty, which I like, as we said. But you know, seven forty seven, hard to beat. But <laughs> of on. course, Virgin Atlantic yeah. still have eight, and they're going to be around for another two years. So, yeah, yeah, I've never flown Virgin Atlantic actually. I was thinking about that when your brother was on last week. I never flown them. Um, uh, talking about. Lufthansa, talking about, you know, respecting the past. Lufthansa has restored a few historic aircrafts, and that's really, really cool. They restored uh, uh, Junkers uh, 52. It's a very old aircraft. I think it's, it was in operations in the 30s and the 40s, but it's you can experience that. That's the thing that I love about this thing by Lufthansa. Not only they, they restore them, but you and me, we can book experience flights. So cool. It's not just for a museum. It's like you can go, and they try as much to replicate what was the experience of flying for that example. Lufthansa have always been really good at this. The Junkers has been around for a few years. I don't remember when they finished it. 20 or 30 years, I think. But they are rebuilding uh, a Lockheed Super Constellation. The same one that was in their fleet in, uh, in the 50s. They bought in auction, I think, Three or four of them to make sure they have enough pieces <laughs> to being able to do one that is exactly the version they used to have. Bar and they mentioned that they will have a digital cockpit, you know, state of the art, latest yeah, technology. But for the rest, for the rest, it's going to be the same. That's amazing. That is
0: amazing. And again, kudos to them for for going through the the effort and expense and time to do this. It's it's. I think this is important and it's so often overlooked especially by airlines. It's usually falling into the hands of of hobbyists and retired airline mechanics to take these airplanes and and preserve them in a museum environment. To see an airline really – Step up and, and take ownership of their of their heritage is hugely refreshing and I think very important. I agree. They they've also
1: uh, talking about museum. They've and I found that pretty staggering actually. Uh, they bought back a 732, so uh, seven thirty uh, two, so seven thirty seven two hundred that had been hijacked. In the seventies, most of the people were liberated. I think the pilot had been sadly killed during the hijacking. The seventies yeah. was quite a, the sixties, seventies. The there were quite a few hijacks. Yeah, exactly, it was in I think in Somalia in Africa. So that aircraft had been then, of course, I think sold to other airlines, and it finished its its uh, its uh, life in Brazil. I think in two thousand seven or eight. The, the government, the German government, that's not Lufthansa. They bought it back in 2017. So last year, and they asked Lufthansa Technik, which is the technical uh, arm from Lufthansa, to disassemble it, to put it in an Antonov, to fly it back to Germany, then to put it back together and uh, to actually put it in a museum because of course, respect for their the history of Germany and of Lufthansa. It's going to be at the Dornier
0: Museum in uh, Friedrichhafen. I mean, Talking about heritage, I think it's a very. I do too. I do. I'm so glad that they're doing this. I can't wait to uh, experience the various components of this of this project. In fact, it would be great to learn a little bit more about why they feel the need to do it because they are outliers. No, not many other airlines do this. I mean, Cathay acquired and preserved their two first airplanes. One of one is out front of their headquarters. One is in the Hong Kong Science Museum, mm-hmm. the DC3s. Yeah. But not many other airlines. Are are as good at this as as Lufthansa? I agree, and uh, especially flying them. The, the two are early example. Oh, the the lucky the Constellation. I will clearly try to book. I love that airplane so much. It's such a beautiful airplane. Talking about iconic seven hundred and forty seven and oh, that yeah. Constellation. These are these are
1: amazing aircrafts. Uh, Lufthansa. Is, I don't fly them long haul. You guys know that because uh, again, I know I am very lucky to be flying very often in business class, and I don't find their business class. Uh, it is up to what it should be. Uh, especially the rest of the experience of Lufthansa for me is uh, top notch. Uh, you know, the lounges are very good. Uh, the food is excellent. I mean, people might prefer, you know, of course, foods from Cathay Pacific, Singapore or Emirates, whatever. But I mean, it's all the components that they are. The I, I think the seat on, on on in business class is, is bad. Pearson's Lloyd, uh, we're based actually in London, we had designed that seats. I've come out with the next design for uh, Lufthansa. That's going to be installed in the trip, that is coming uh, in two years and it looks finally like a seat that i would love to fly i mean like it's nothing honestly totally different from what we've experienced alex the one 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 thing that is really staggering they have a super throne seat so the the layout is very bizarre but that creates one seat every two row in the middle what has like these huge wings on each side where you can? I, I think you could you could hold like a, a dinner table it.
0: or something. It's- <laughs> I love it. I love those. I love those. You you do. I mean, the throne seat is such the perfect way to describe it because you do feel like royalty when you're sitting on it. No one else is anywhere near you. You've got you've got one seat in the space that is is uh, really designed for two. So cool, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's a, of course you lack the window because these are
1: like center row seats. But you know, we said that for those the virtual windows and Emirates. This is and United when which I flew on the seven sixty seven. There are a few instances where I would try a middle row to have that kind of experience in this. You know, I'm on board. I, if in two years I get a chance to fly a 777-9 with Lufthansa in business class, I will try to have that seat <laughs> because it looks really yeah. cool. Talking about seats, the big uproar in the UK. Let's do a little bit of the UK. Uh, the no recline seats that are going to be introduced by British Airways, mostly on short haul, obviously, Recaro seats. If you guys ever flown on EasyJet, all the newest EasyJets uh, have that. I think actually our friend Eric at the husband into on twitter just flew a brand new easy he tweeting us uh like a thing a few days ago he must have had those seats so these are seats that are very thin and there's a preset angle myself i'm tall as you know guys i like those seats i flew easy a few times with those seats i yeah, like those me seats. too i get it why people are upset because it feels like the recline
0: is Yet another of your freedom to be taken away. (laughs) Yeah, this is one of those ones where I actually side with BA. I think they've made a a sensible choice here. Because they're preserving the seat pitch, the the seat pitch actually increases ever so slightly by doing this, and I think the the passenger experience is better because, as you say, you are slightly reclined. Those EasyJet seats are very, very good. You wouldn't want to do it for you know ten hours, but they are fine. And honestly, if you if you recline your seat in economy short haul, you're just a dick anyway.
1: (laughs) It's just that's just not cool. I don't know, I had a discussion with, enough. sorry, whoever I had a discussion with about that on Twitter. With it, my friend Gianfranco, I don't remember. Anyway, I'm a tall, so of course I hate when someone reclines on me, but do seats are actually pretty comfortable. Yeah. You know, you're not like a 90% angle or something. You are already pre-reclined a little bit, and that's it's good. I I really enjoyed... When I first did that easyJet flight two years ago with this, this, I think the Recaro is is the seat maker. I was like, wow, there's no recline, but I don't care because that was it was a two hour flight or two and a half yeah. hours. It was okay, and I and I I'm like you, I'm story siding with BA on this. I think the reaction is more about you know people feel that they have less an you know,
0: agency oh, or something. You know, <laughs> well, I I think <laughs> I, I like it. I think it's gonna put an end to a, the the few. F- yeah, I mean, no, it, that's, <laughs> that's, that's that's exactly the word. I, it's different if you're doing a trans-con red-eye in the US and you, you want to get just a little tiny bit of sleep and everybody's going to recline their seat. That's fine. But on a, a flight from London to Geneva or, you know, London to St. Petersburg or whatever, you, you suck it up. You're going to be more comfortable. Everybody on the flight is going to be more comfortable with this new Agreed. configuration.
1: I, I also say get used to it because for me
0: that's yeah. a trend.
1: You know... Having moving parts in an aircraft—that's something that breaks. It's great for also the and I get it for airlines to say we have seats that don't move because they cannot break and then we don't have problems. So it's gonna get used to it because that's gonna happen yeah, anyway. No, absolutely, all, all the airlines are gonna get there. Talking about EasyJet, we we called it so many times, Alex. They are introducing
0: streaming Wi-Fi, so I have few streaming. This was written on it the wall somewhere. It has so much sense. I mean, I've been raving about Southwest doing it, you know, to the low cost carrier. For years, And it's such a great experience. I love it. And it seems a lot more American Airlines. Will was telling me this offline that a lot of the US airlines are doing IFE and stream to device. And there's been a lot written in the aviation press that this is the way forward, that airlines want to mm-hmm. reduce uh, weight and cost and maintenance mm-hmm. issues. Mm-hmm. By moving to this stream to the device model, especially for short-ish haul, if not, if not long haul as well. Uh, I think that works well in, in economy or single-class configurations, less so in premium, but for easyjet to do it. I might actually consider going on EasyJet again after several poor experiences with them. <laughs> I I have a soft spot, I don't know why for EasyJet. I uh so the the
1: the the, the, the name is pretty cool. <laughs> the name of the the system is called Airtime, <laughs> Duh. And uh they have an ad, so people are in defense about it, but they use a lot of celebrity lookalikes in the ad. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty cool. I'll put the link in the show notes. It's on YouTube. I think it's a good idea. It's a rev. It's a revenue. Because I, I don't know the pricing. I, I don't know if it was announced. I couldn't find it. So probably it's not announced yet, but they will have a, a, some kind of pricing uh, link to it. I uh, remember I was telling you I was flying United and they had. I mean, they had uh, IFE screens in front of the seats. Of, I was in, in business class but you could have also streaming uh, movies. And I remember I told you that the catalog was huge compared to what I had in front of me. And I was like, you know what? You know, I have a you know, the large iPad Pro, so the quality of the screen is probably better than the one I see in front of me. <laughs> so the only thing I would miss, Alex, and I don't know if you have, because I don't think you're traveling with an iPad, but is to find, I need to find something. So that's another call after the, the pizza in the lounge in Europe. <laughs> What do you guys use if you have an iPad? Do you use any type of you know mechanism to hold it to the seat in front of you, to the tray table? Do you use anything, or you simply use a cover from Apple? Uh, or if you have, I mean, you know, Surface and others, I, I would really be interested yeah. because that's the only thing. Sometimes I cannot find a nice angle to I watch. I think my there are a few
0: from. products out there that that handle that, uh, but I don't know how gracefully they they do it. That's a good point, actually. The only the thing was- I don't know about EasyJet is are they offering any kind of air-to-ground connectivity or is it just streaming Wi-Fi? There's a technology investment in there, isn't there? Because you could have a Wi-Fi network in the airplane to stream from a server that sits in the in the gadget bay uh, versus having to put the, the air-to-ground or air-to-satellite antennas on there. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, I, I will definitely try EasyJet again. So I can experience this. I don't know how quickly they're going to roll it out.
1: Me neither. Me neither. By the way, that just reminds me. That was also before Christmas. You remember the plane that caught fire in the Qatar oh, Airways yeah. aircraft? That was bad. Oh my god, <laughs> that was bad. I mean, it was on the ground. No, no one died. The flight was empty. It was like being on maintenance or something.
0: But the thing really caught it, fire. It, yeah, it was. It was completely gutted. Was it the yeah. antenna, the Wi-Fi I, antenna, or something? something to I don't do with what that. Exactly. That they were they were playing with and it just it caught fire uh and you know thank goodness it was on the ground and there was no one hurt
1: uh, a friend of mine alan was uh, also a loyal listener to the show lives in geneva my hometown uh, A good friend of mine hi alan was so uh, what i think yeah i put the news about that on our facebook page uh, look for layovers on facebook and you'll find us guys and he basically replied that that reminded him of uh, Swissair uh, 111. Uh, yeah, when yeah it that it was terrible. Because probably of the IFE or some Wire. cables caught yeah. fire. Yeah. Like you say, if that had happened during a flight, I don't know if it was a sequence of events, the fire was put out, but yeah, <laughs> ouch, because the images are coming they Yeah, they on. are. They are. They're, they're devastating. But let's stay a little bit in the UK. So, Monarch. One of the biggest bankruptcies of uh, airline in the UK in the world as well, because it was a pretty big uh, airline. Two news linked to that. First, <laughs> it's a bit of an irony, but. You said rightly so that one of the big pressure that Monarch had, besides the fact that there had been like terrorist attacks in their uh, usual destinations that hit their bottom line, was from BA. That's, right. that's BA actually getting all the landing slots.
0: Yeah. <laughs> surprise, <laughs> surprise. <laughs> Are you surprised at all that this was the outcome? I'm a bit saddened because, you
1: know, we like competition. And here is not to say against BA, but I would have liked. Some of these slots to being given to other airlines, whether even if it's EasyJet or Ryanair or whoever else, maybe they were
0: not interested. But I mean, yeah, it, it, I mean, as a British Airways flyer, it is good because it's opening up a lot of routes potentially at Gatwick or at least some increase in frequencies. But I'm with you. I think that BA needs a challenger and they need it soon. The other interesting link with Monarch is that that's a debate we've been
1: having, a discussion we've been having many times, Alex, about the pilot shortage. And, of course, suddenly Monarch goes bankrupt and liberated well, – that's maybe not right <laughs> choice of word uh, – a lot of uh, pilots. Can you think where they all going? I have no idea. Apparently,
0: it's Norwegian. Well, that was uh, O'Leary's complaint, wasn't it, when they had all of their pilot shortage issues that – that Norwegian was poaching all of Ryanair's pilots. So I don't know what Norwegian uh is doing to attract them, obviously paying them more. There must be some compelling reason or perhaps giving them more seniority. But uh, yeah, I'm glad that Norwegian is expanding. Similar story with the pilots uh, from Air Berlin. A lot of
1: them are going to, to Norwegian. Uh, Willie Walsh uh, from uh, IAGBA uh, says that the pilot shortage doesn't exist. So I don't know what world he's actually living. Why would he? Uh, I don't understand why he would say that. I think it, hasn't it been quantifiably uh, the- proven that there's a. I think he wants to be dismissive towards the low cost, the ones I just mentioned, especially Norwegian, right? right? No, because yeah, uh, it's we- a veiled
0: thing to say there's only a pilot yeah. shortage if you're not paying your pilots properly. Yeah, I think that's <laughs> exactly it.
1: The other outcome of that Air Berlin uh,
0: disaster is Nikki. So who's buying yeah. Nikki? Well, I was hoping that it was going to be the chap that it was. the airline is named after, Formula One driver Nikki Lauda, but it's not him. Sadly he, he he didn't win the bidding war. And actually I don't know who who got who got it.
1: IAG. <laughs> IAG. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> really? <laughs> so it was set in stone and it's not anymore because there's a this uh welcome to Europe where supposedly everything is integrated. Germany and Austria are fighting over which judge has the authority of the, uh, the bankruptcy proceedings? You know, because they say Nikki was based in Austria. Yeah, but most of the debt is based uh. in Germany. La, uh, la, 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 la. So the bidding war had been won by IAG. So it's willing that is buying them. I guess Nikki would be folded into Welling. And I read just before we started recording that this is happening. IAG says they're confident Who wanted it? Uh, uh, Lufthansa. But Lufthansa just basically got everything from Air Berlin. Lufthansa, if you just think about Germany, Austria, and Switzerland, they would have basically held the entire market on their own. I can see why that
0: that would have come under a lot of scrutiny. But again, I'm sad because it will disappear. It will become appealing. I think that that's that's sad. I think, you know, speaking of Air Berlin, I stumbled across – their corporate auction. Jason Rabinowitz, he, he tweeted out the link and you could buy like, you know, rows of business class seats and bags of <laughs> wow. lanyards or blankets or, you know, the, the trolleys and one fifth scale 737 model. You could buy it all. You had to go to Essen to get it, but it's everywhere. If ever Alex and I transform this podcast into something video,
1: even if it's just the two of us sat on a chair and chatting for sure, we will buy airplane seats. 100%. So. <laughs> that's for sure. So it's only 20 million. It's not, I mean, only 20 million. It's not a spare change for me, but I mean, 20 million, it's, it seems like not too yeah. expensive for a willing to buy. I don't know how much debt
0: there was and what they're taking on in, yeah, in, terms, of, uh, in terms of that, but you're right. It, that's not a lot for an airline. And, and I'm not sure, continuing on
1: that discussion about competition in Europe, how Lufthansa thinks they will have Alitalia. So the rumor is that the Alitalia bankruptcy proceedings, the judge is about to give Alitalia to Lufthansa. How does that work in a world where there's no, I mean, Maridiana now, they have like 10 aircrafts, come on. But uh how does that work? They all already have Air Dolomiti, <laughs> and they will have Alitalia. So that's another – I mean, I, I, and in here it's nothing to say against Lufthansa.
0: It definitely feels uh, like a land grab at the moment for the big European airlines. And I think that Air France and KLM are the ones that are getting left behind. But Italy will be a very interesting battleground in the next two years, I think, because you've got you know Alitalia going to a new home, new owners at least. And then, of course, Meridiana being owned – fully owned by – Qatar? I don't know if it's fully on, no, because they're- Certainly, certainly uh, a, a substantial, uh, and they're- they're Yeah, because it's a foreign, it's an non-EU, so it's 49%, so I think. They're going to invest a ton of money into it. They want to turn it into another proper flag carrier. They're upgrading their very old fleet and all that. So it can only be good for the traveling Italian public. But we'll see. Yeah, we'll I see. agree. Quick news since we're on that, since we just that Italia- uh, Etihad is
1: finally a new CEO. So Etihad Aviation, because they already always had Etihad had a CEO all along. He's a Swiss guy, actually, a Baumgartner or something. But they just named Tony Douglas as the chief exec for Etihad Aviation Group. So we'll see. I hope that he's able to do. Yeah, tough one here. Uh, let's finish with, uh, because I absolutely wanted to, to talk about this, still in the UK, nothing to do with competition, but a bit. And I want to thank Jessica uh, for actually sending us the news, because otherwise it would have flown over me. You know, we have a lot of issues here in London to have a third runway at Heathrow. You know, we're, we were supposed to have it, and then suddenly the government says we're, we're going to redo another study. So we're still up in the air. We don't know if it's going to happen or not. Can you guess, Alex, maybe you've read it, I don't know. Can you guess how many people complain about the noise for Heathrow? Oof, I have no idea. They received, uh, in the final three months of 2017, more than 15,000 complaints, which yeah. is quite a lot, actually. But these complaints emanated only for 500 people. <laughs> and, hold on, hold on. 10 people are responsible for 75% of the number of just TV <laughs> <before>. <laughs> It's crazy. It's crazy. In Slaw, on the other side, your Slaw is when you usually when you land because it's more west than uh, than Ethro guys. Uh, Ten residents clocked six thousand complaints to themselves in three months. So, I mean, here is not to you know. Point finger at everyone just to say that sometimes when we hear the debate about noise and remember guys I used to live under the pathway of landing pathway now I live under the departing pathway and I never complain by the way of course I love planes but still uh, meaning you have to take these numbers by grain of salt and I went back and I looked what happens in the US <laughs> uh, LA LAX I think that was a number from 2016 three callers so three people made up 90% of the complaints for LAX wow. noise At the Reagan International in D.C., two individuals (laughs) made up for 80% of the complaints. (laughs) And in Denver, one person in Denver Airport, one person who lives actually 30 miles away from Denver uh, Airport, 75% of the complaints in 2015 was from that single person. Here, again, not to dismiss the complaints about noise, but I just found these numbers staggering. You know, in a debate we we need to address that. There are some people and probably fed up with the noise, and I get it. But come Yeah, they're on. they're they're that's their sport, that's their hobby. By the way, Ethro's noise has decreased fifteen percent during the last ten years. Anyway, I love it. One of the best uh landings that uh you know, I look at the window and I look outside was landing at Copenhagen Airport in the middle of the winter oh, because yeah, a lot of snow and beautiful. it was a fantastic landing. So uh, I'm going to let you, because you've been to Copenhagen Airport recently, you've just released, we're recording today, uh, 17th of January, Wednesday, just released, I think it was yeah. yesterday, the new episode from Attaché in Copenhagen. Uh, and then people will also understand the link with Andrew. Please tell us all about that.
0: that's. Thank you. Yeah, we put it out yesterday. It was a fun episode to film for a few reasons. One, Copenhagen is a wonderful Beautiful city full of great food and friendly people. Uh, but my brother Andrew came along because he's wanted to come on an attache shoot since really since we we started. And of course, he, he was he had cancer for two years. He was battling cancer and is finally uh, in remission, which is which is great news. But he came with us on this on this shoot and we had a grand time. And he's in the episode quite a lot and the cheeky bugger did a little little bit without (laughs) my knowledge at the end. You'll have to watch the whole episode to see that because I I honestly did not know that he and Greg did this until I got the the edit of the episode. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, he came along and – he had a stem cell transplant, to which saved his life, frankly, and was crucial in him overcoming his cancer. So what we're going to do with this episode, and I talked about this at the very beginning of the episode, is that all the money the episode generates from ads on YouTube, we're going to donate to the Anthony Nolan Trust, who are a charity here in the UK that do pioneering work to match stem cell donors with people that need a stem cell transplant, and he was uh he went through them and they've been wonderful and they're a great organization so please please check out the episode you can just search for copenhagen and up will pop and uh, and watch it and we do obviously as we do in every single episode of attache spend a lot of time talking about the airport that's a great freaking airport holy <laughs> hell that's a good airport it's yeah. it's like this perfect combination of form and function obviously it's like beautiful scandy style lovely uh open and airy but You know, you go from plane to tarmac in like four minutes. It's intelligently designed, and then to get from the airport to Copenhagen Central Station on the train is twelve minutes. Twelve minutes. It's so civilized. (laughs) Um, It's no, you know. know, And then the metro, which is not much, not much longer than that. It's just a joy to go in and out of that airport really, really is. You know what? It's interesting because I've never experienced
1: the airport as a destination. I've only done layovers. The last time I was in Copenhagen, I went with the train, believe it or not. (laughs) Yeah, it was great. It was a super long journey. You know, one of these journeys that, like, is for 15, 20 hours or something. It was amazing. But I've never actually used the airport. So was it easy, like, to... Not only, of course, navigate, again, you know, in terms of design, you know, I trust Scandinavian yeah. countries with very... my eye closed. Like you go to Helsinki, Oslo, Copenhagen, you go to oh, Bergen, all the airports are good.
0: It's just like, is it, uh, do you have to go early? No. Is it? yeah, obviously it's where SAS uh, have a lot of their flights. It's a very busy Big bustling airport, but it's intelligently designed, and it's very easy to to navigate. They've got really good food and drink options, amenities. BA have a very good lounge that's sort of up in this rotunda almost. It only opened uh, last year, I think, uh, oh. late last year, and you get this wonderful panoramic view of the tarmac. And uh, it's you know it's it's a comfortable place to spend spend an hour or or two. But yeah, it's well laid out. It's clean. It's airy. It's light. The signposting is a little bit confusing, just because the the way that the airside bit is laid out. But you know, I I was impressed. I was really really impressed. It's one of those airports that you think, not from a comfort, but just from a an experience, a user experience perspective, is a joy to. To use, I would also recommend it for
1: layovers. I've done SAS. So I've never been to that BA lounge. And actually, it was my experience is not super recent because it was exactly two years ago. It was in uh, January 2016 that I went the last time to do a layover in Copenhagen airport. Uh, I was going from London through uh, Copenhagen to New York to Newark, actually. And so I will just say this. Parts of the terminals, you know, you have uh, F-gates, C-gates, D-gates, A-gates, and there are quite a, quite a few. Uh, parts of the airports are more welcoming than others. Uh, there's, like, more amenities, cafes, and the cafes are amazing. You know, there's a lot of – it's very open, open spaces. You can just, you know, sit down, have a coffee. It's uh, It feels really kind of – homey is maybe an overstatement, but it, it feels really, yeah. really good. And it was, like, right in the middle of winter, with was snowing. You know, de-icing was not a problem like in the U.S. or in Europe. Uh, <laughs> And uh, so there are uh, some disconvoluted parts, especially when you go to the US because we know how it is. You know, the US has sometimes extra security uh, as in the part where the US flights were departing back then. I don't know if that changed where there was a little bit of nothing. So I wanted to go to the SAS lounge. So they have a lounge, which is Star Alliance. The lounge is probably the less good of the SAS lounge, oh, really? i thought. It doesn't mean that it's bad. It's just that, when you see, if any one of you guys has been to the lounge at SAS at Oslo, which feels like a home, like they have couches that's and small nice. sofas and like uh, coffee areas,
0: that's very different. Anyway, good for layovers. It's a, it's a airport. great airport. Great city. I, I, I always forget how close it is to London. It's just, just over an hour's flight. I need to get more, spend more it's, time there. The only thing that, guys, it's like a lot of it in, in Northern Europe. It's quite
1: expensive, yes. but it's oh worth my it. my God, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, Alex, uh, let's not do the next flights because we just said earlier yep. that there's not going to be airlocks until we probably record next. Uh, also, I know that you have to go. Uh, the recording will sharply end. So, guys, uh, please hail the return of Alex Hunter to our show, and good luck with your family, Alex, and uh, thank safe you. Travels. Guys, safe travels.